I'm Trillia Newbell, and this is Stories of Sacred Endurance, a podcast about persevering in Christ through the ups, downs, challenges, heartbreaks, and journey of life. Every episode, we will talk to a fellow saint who can teach us something important about enduring in the faith. Kosti Hinn is a pastor and author whose passion is to preach the gospel and serve the church. He provides ministry resources on a variety of topics at forthegospel.org. And his work has been featured on media outlets like CNN, Christianity Today, and churchleaders.com. Kosti and his wife have three young children. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast, and you have such a unique story, and I'm looking forward to people learning more about you. So for those who do not know, you are the nephew of Benny Hinn, a well-known televangelist and prosperity gospel preacher. How did growing up under his ministry shape you? Yeah, well, first, uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be on with you. Uh, My backstory is linked to, of course, my last name and and the world that I grew up in. Uh, I was under my uncle's ministry and my father's as well, who uh, was a faith healer and prosperity preacher, and then worked in and with my uncle. We all kind of did as a rite of passage, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And growing up in that movement, I viewed God as a magic genie. And if I rubbed him right with enough faith or positive confessions or offerings or what have you, you know, God was supposed to give me everything I ever wanted. And in the end, he was a sort of puppet and I'm the puppet master and my faith is the force that moves him and makes Mm. him do the things that I want. And so, you know, a few key phrases to give a picture in people's mind is we would use the phrase in Jesus name, like abracadabra. So, you know, in Jesus name, I claim a a mansion in Jesus name, a Bentley in Jesus name, you know, cancer will never touch my house. And in Jesus name, promotions and perfect relationships. I mean, those were the ideas that I had in my mind when it came to God. And we were like a Royal family and the mafia Trillia. So we had the wealth and the status of the royal family, and then the tight-lipped community where you never speak against family, even if they're doing things that are wrong, because it was like the mafia in our culture. So that would be a picture for people of what it was like. You have professed Christ, and when did you profess faith in Christ? I did about seven years ago. And I was studying the Gospel of John for a sermon. I was a pastor, Mm -hmm. no no less, and serving at a church in Southern California. And I was studying the Gospel of John, and the Holy Spirit just wrecked my world in study. That's amazing. So what what was it about the Gospel of John that, that, was there a certain passage, or is just reading it for what it really says for the first time? What was it that wrecked you? Yeah, so... I was studying the Gospel of John. We were going through a series called uh, Glory Came Down, and it was about Christ coming, and it was the Gospel of John. We were going verse by verse, and it was supposed to be just simple. You know, we're going to go through the Bible. And I was at this church that um, we planted as a team, and uh, our plant team was pretty wild. So we would just do whatever it took to get people in the door. So you can imagine... (laughs) And then all of a sudden, our t- there was a teaching pastor, and he had led the church plant and had brought me on, and, and I was enjoying fellowship and growing under his discipleship. One day he comes in and says, hey guys, I got an idea. I'm getting really tired of trying to sell the next big thing that people should come to. 
I just want to teach the Bible. And we're like, okay, that's a little weird, <laughs> but okay, fine. Maybe it'll work. We'll see. Or people will leave. So he says, we're going to go through the gospel of John. So we're rotating and teaching. I'm up and without even planning it, I end up with John chapter five, verses one through 17. It's the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And I'm thinking, okay, healing, I'm a hen. I got this nailed. Like this, <laughs> this is my sermon. Like, here we go. So I get in my office, I start studying and he throws me a commentary by an old trusted theologian and goes, hey, these are sometimes helpful. I'd never used a commentary in my life. He goes, this might keep the train on the tracks and study. I'm like, okay, well, sure. I'll use it if I need it. And I start studying and I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm looking at the passage and I notice that Jesus pulls one man out of a multitude. And my mind was thinking, well, that's weird. You're supposed to heal everybody because we always taught and I always believed that it's always God's will to heal everybody. And if they don't get healed, it's their fault. They have little faith, they didn't give enough, or they have a negative attitude. So I'm thinking, well, okay, well, let's keep going here. And I'm making observations like I had been taught, circle words and pull out key phrases and really ask questions of the text. This pastor, his name is Tony, he was discipling me. So we just wanted to study the Bible better and preach it better. Well, then you get down to when Jesus heals the man, tells him, pick up your pallet and walk. And John records, immediately the man got up. And I'm thinking... Well, that's interesting too, because there was no process, no music, no mm. stadium, no offering, no anointed, like big thing. You just did it with a word, Lord. That's mm. power. And then I keep reading, and this is the one that got me, is the Pharisees come over, find the guy walking around with his pallet, and they go, who told you you can pick up your pallet and walk? You know, don't you know, it's the Sabbath day, man. You can't work. What are you doing? And he looks at them and goes, well, the guy who healed me. And then John records, because he did not know who Jesus was. And that word, no, he did not know, means he didn't even perceive who Jesus was. So now I'm really messed up and I'm going, how did he get healed if he didn't know Jesus? Because he had to have enough faith to get healed. But if he didn't know Jesus, he couldn't have had enough faith in someone he didn't know. Yeah. Well, this is, something's up. So I grabbed the commentary. I'm already a bit confused and intrigued and the Holy Spirit clearly working in my heart. Yes. And I opened that commentary and this guy just goes off. This is Christ's sovereign power in action. He's a sovereign healer. He heals with a word. And he, he this theologian, just describes the power of God in this beautiful moment. The man has no merits, mm. nothing at all that would compel Christ to heal him. Jesus just does it because he loves him. He shows compassion, sovereign healer in action. I'm thinking, okay, that's really weird. And then the commentator adds a little extra and goes, this contrasts the cruel lies of fake faith healers today who tell people who don't <laughs> get healed that they're guilty of negative confession, unbelief, not enough faith, but you can't turn Christ's healing ministry into a formula. He's a sovereign healer. We have to trust him in faith. And here is that. In act. And I'm going, oh my goodness. So tears fill my eyes. I'm weeping in my office. Everything comes to a head. I call it cracks in the dam of my theology. For years, some friends, faithful friends had questioned things and caused me to think deeply, but I had never come to a full place of understanding. And that moment for me 
was my grace awakening. I told the Lord, I repent. I never want to preach or teach that again. I wanted to study the word and know everything that I had taught and believed that was false. And so the dominoes kept falling. And in the end, I told the Lord, I will, I vow to preach the true gospel, to be faithful in ministry. And so as a kind of Mm. tie off to that, I ran over to my pastor's office. I kicked the door in and I said, it was all a lie. It was fake. Now I understand why. And the Bible says, and so I'm going crazy. (laughs) And I said, I got to tell people. And so he said, Costi, Costi, calm down, calm down. And he said, listen, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a pastor. He said, so what does a pastor do? And I said, well, he serves the church. He goes, here's what you're going to do. You just came to an understanding of something that, you know, many people know. And God's got a good handle on his gospel. So we don't need you running out there to try to save the world right now. You just be faithful. Go to your job, study, go to seminary. And if God calls you to help on this issue, he'll make it really clear. But for now, you just focus on being faithful. And so I went through about four years of seminary, study, discipleship, and the Lord really was faithful through other people guiding me. So sorry for the monologue, but I wanted to give you a picture. No, this is amazing. Well, this is, and and I'm hanging on every single word because it's remarkable, but also I just, I have so many questions from just listening to you. One question is, um, I just want to highlight, you, you said it kind of in passing, but it is so important in our divided day and age that friends stuck by you when you were your yeah. false teacher, but they're, they stuck by you and they're telling you the truth saying, Hey, there's something not right about this. And they're, just be, and mm-hmm. they didn't leave you. And, and that's, that just, it's really stuck out to me because it's not what we see often. Often we see people who they, they push away from those who are not teaching truth. And so I, I find that really encouraging that you had faithful yeah, friends. Yeah, they, it, I had a coach in college. At, I went to Dallas Baptist University and played baseball there. And I rolled onto campus with a big H2 Hummer with giant rims. And I was flashy. I had <laughs> just come out of working with my uncle. And so I'm going to college playing baseball. And my coach, who's there... These wonderful Baptist brothers and sisters, they were not condoning at all, but they also weren't condemning. They did not endorse anything. They were not saying, oh, this is fine, but they would ask questions. It was the HMU, the help me understand moments where, you know, coach would say, so help me understand, you know, you, you, you drive a home and he would use objective, clear things to help me ask questions. And I used to think, man, in my mind, honestly, very arrogant, I would think, you drive a white Toyota Camry. Like, what are you going to tell me? I drive a Hummer. I got an expensive watch. I come from the prosperity gospel. You don't know anything about faith. I would think that very arrogantly, but coach would patiently walk mm. with me. And then my wife, when I met her, she drove a Yaris, was like hardworking blue collar girl. And she was very skeptical of what we believed. And so she would ask questions and that made me think. And then my pastor, of course, um, you know, instead of running me out the door, of course, our church didn't know all that was about to happen and how the Lord would change our lives. But we just stuck with the Bible and stuck with each other and thought, well, let's let the word of God do the work here and let's love each other, but, and let's call it like it is together. But in the end, Mm. we agreed on one thing that we're going to submit to the word of God as truth. And even if it hurts and we want to fight it and we don't like it and it costs us a little something, Let's just walk in obedience because Jesus is worth it. And so that's that's where that all came mm-hmm. from. 
and where it all ended up. What happened? So you you do this, you say that, did you leave the church? Did the whole church transform? Was this, um, yeah, what happened to yeah, that Yeah, we church? went from being a kind of wild, fly-by-the-seat-of-our-pants church with um, all the bells and whistles to get people in the door and very, very shallow teaching to a total transformation. I have to say, it wasn't just my story or about me. God was transforming other people powerfully. And so our teaching pastor, the Lord really took him to the mat and he was crying out to God and you know it's more his story to tell than mine, but I know a little bit of the details and I can right. share them with you guys and saying, you know, he was tired of playing the game and trying to, to run the rat race and get people in the door. And he just finally said, you know what? I just want the word of God. I'd want you, Holy Spirit, to do this. I am tired of striving in my own strength and trying to be creative enough just to be good enough that people would want to come. And so that was cool. Elders in the Mm. church and people came around and they wanted it too. So the Lord was working corporately. And in that, Mm. there were these amazing storylines. We had this gal come who got saved. She was the first conversion um, around that season in the planting and in this transformation time. And she had had a baby and had given it up for adoption. And she thought God didn't love her and that she couldn't be a part of the church or she wasn't good enough. And the Lord rescued her and brought her in. And we had people come from broken situations. And so I, I look at it now in retrospect and we were a mess of broken people. Mm. And, but the Lord didn't leave us broken. He restored us, he grew us, he shaped us, he challenged us. And so in the end, we did have quite a few people leave who were there for what it was, but, and the church dwindled down. We had gone from about a 300 person rocking church plant with all the bells and whistles to about a hundred people, you know, soaking wet. And then over the Mm. years, you know, seven years later, it was 600 people and grew back. And the growth was people who said, no gimmicks, no funny business, just give us the word of God and let's fellowship and grow together and love Mm. one another. So that's where it all went. And so it really isn't my story. It's the story about Jesus building his church. And I happen to be, you know, a hen. So people thought, well, that's crazy, but really the Lord is healing and restoring broken, sinful hearts for Newbell and Hinn and Johnson and Carter and Smith yes. and Wood and on and on and on. Um, I'm just one storyline in God's bigger story. Yes, amen to that. He is building his church and uh, the gates of hell will not prevail. And I was just thinking about how the power of his word um, that your your teaching pastor was compelled. I, we need to teach God's preach God's word and then you start reading his word and your um your eyes are open and then your church is transformed Amen. by his word. <laughs> so you just it's it's powerful. You we say these scriptures the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. But it it's is. true and when you see these testimonies you just can't help but say, "Okay God, only you can do this." And um, we can't, as as you're saying, we cannot take credit. This is the power of God, and it is remarkable. There is a another question, and you can um, pass or answer. But you you made you you said at the very beginning that your family was like yeah. the mafia, which <laughs> so this conversion and, and transformation has had to have affected 
affected relationships. So how has it been relationally in your family as you have um I guess you would say renounce the prosperity. Yeah, lots of victories, lots of challenges. Maybe more challenges than victories. Um, Over the years, there were, um, you know, threats. We lost, um, obviously, you know, money and stuff and all those things. But you figure out those things don't really matter in the end. Um, The Lord provides for our needs and and gives us just what we need many times. And um, and then, but the the agony of it was more than anything was being so wounded by and hurt by the fact that I had lost family. Like my heart, my wife's heart, our family, that was the deepest uh, cut or the deepest wound was, Lord, they're they're lost. Like this is not a real Jesus. This isn't the real gospel. And what Paul said about false gospels is really intense and really strong and very serious. And, you know, false gospels are a big deal and false teaching is a big deal to God because, you know, God is about his mission, and if you get in the way of his mission, right. <laughs> you're you're not making enemies with Costi or with Trillia or anyone else. You're you're literally putting yourself between God and his people, his mission. So that's what false teaching does. And I'm thinking, and my family's doing that. Um, so that mm. was really difficult, and it comes at a loss because I would talk to family privately and tell them, uh, you know, you 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 need to stop this is not okay. The Lord opened my eyes. Um, look at this text with me or look at this verse or listen to what God's word says. And there'd be a lot of anger and frustration. So there was a, a lot of private internal warring in the first year or two. But yeah. the fun part is, um, you know, my parents and I, our relationship is in a healthy place now. We have great discussions. I was just texting with my mom the other day. They're coming to visit this weekend and we have great dialogue. My dad has pulled away from a lot of what he was doing. Um, There's still areas in his life that we talk through and dialogue that we have. And I ask big questions and I'm not going to go and, you know, partner with him and say, hey, let's do a big conference or let's do a podcast. Tell the word because he's still working through things and he's he's trying to figure out what all that means. But he knows um, that what we were living and doing was wrong and against God's will. And he came to that place through the Lord's working. And so my mom as well. So that's been neat. And then, you know, challenges, of course, with my uncle, with other family members are, are existent. But, you know, there's always opportunity, as long as we're still breathing, for the Lord to work in our hearts. And so we, we've experienced this tension where on one side, we are firm on truth. We're not going to compromise. And there's no messing around. It is what it is. And then on this other side, there's 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love, which hopes all things, bears all things, believes all things, endures all yes. things. So if you ever find yourself swinging over to the hard line, firm side and for, and not believing that God could save anyone, well, you're crazy. You've lost it. But if, if you swing over That's to the good. other side and you go, well, I just love you. Don't worry about the deception and, and manipulation and, and lies. You know, I'm just going to love you. Well, now we've left out the truth. And Christ was an example right. of grace and truth, of love and truth. And so it, it is a beautiful um, double-edged sword, if you will, that cuts through the stuff that needs to be cut through and cut out and shapes the things that need to be shaped. And so that is where our family is now. And I pray for 
lasting and genuine fruit for those who are uh, repenting and wanting the things of God. And I pray for uh, disruption from the conviction of the Holy Spirit for those who are still caught up. I love it that your focus, and the focus should be, is all on God, His Spirit, Jesus' power, this power of the Word, and how that transforms hearts. And um, it's, yes, yeah, so encouraging. And so this podcast is about enduring in the faith. What does the prosperity uh, theology have to say about endurance, and what have you seen differently in Scripture? Yeah, prosperity theology shortcuts suffering. It shortcuts yeah. endurance. It's like um, a friend of mine who will remain nameless, but we ran a marathon together, San Francisco Marathon, and she cut off a bunch of distance <laughs> during the marathon. <laughs> so she cheated. Because, oh, yeah. She was tired and she had had enough. <laughs> so, But she still wanted to quote-unquote finish. Oh, no. And so, um, you know, it... She decided to cut, and I, I I stuck with it, and that's not to self-aggrandize. That's just to say I was too scared to cheat, and so you know. So we you finished. suffered through it, which is yeah, a, yeah. suffered through. You know, that's the picture that's of the prosperity gospel. That is a perfect Shortcut picture. Shortcut the marathon, yeah, and and then go still wear the medal that you you didn't really run the race, and yeah. so you know to say it's the gospel, to say you believe in Jesus, to say you're all in on Christ, but then not allow the truths of Scripture that are linked to the gospel to shape you and to test you and to make you sweat a little bit is to shortcut God's divine process and order, even in suffering. And so I learned you can't in Jesus' name your way out of everything. Mm. You got to submit to the process of suffering sometimes. And I think back to Paul's words, you know, in Romans 5, which would have been a tough area, you know, to Christians in Rome who would have been looked down upon. You got a melting pot of races and ethnicities, of philosophies and ideologies, of religion. Christians are not liked. And he tells them, you know, we also exalt in our tribulations. We rejoice in them, knowing that those tough times bring perseverance. Our perseverance proves our character. So we see what's really inside our hearts. And what comes out when we're believers, even when it's difficult, is that proven character which leads to hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I think of passages like that. And I yeah. think, God, I really don't want to suffer. I hit, It's going to hurt. Yeah. This is going to be hard. But please do your mighty work with your divine chisel and mm. help me to wince through the pain knowing that you are proving my character and my faith. Amen. Well, what has tested your faith the most, I think, since this um, renewal? I'm just going to ask you, would you say this is your would be your conversion? I absolutely would. Okay. And okay. Yes. Some people may not agree or they may say, well, no, you were saved before. Some people are saved in it. I don't know all the answers. Only God does as far as who's saved and who's not and who's in there and who gets it. I believe that I wasn't saved because I didn't have an understanding and embrace the, the true passion yeah. of the true gospel and yeah. Christ. So, yeah, I wasn't saved. Okay, so what has tested your faith the most since you have been a Christian? Yeah, we've got three kids and a fourth on the way. On the way. We've got Titus, who's five, Grace, who's three, Timothy, who's 16 months, and then, um, Lord willing, we'll name the fourth soon. But um, And Timothy, when he was born, uh, just a month or two after, uh, was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Mm. And everything 
that we had been studying and been praying and that I had been preaching suddenly became more of a reality than ever before. And I'll never forget my wife coming in the kitchen and she had the report in her hand and she was crying and she said, Timothy has cancer. And those words just, I mean, they pierced my heart. And I remember going over and, and hugging her and she sat on my leg and we sat at the kitchen table and cried together. And in that moment, I could say nothing except, you know, we weren't going to get out of this life unscathed. And she said, I know, I know, amen, I know. And we're crying together. And then I added one more thing because it's all I could muster up. And I, I said to her, wow, we're, we're going to live what we've been preaching now, aren't we? And wow. she was like, yes, we are. So we cried together. We prayed. We gave it to the Lord. And all the talk about God's sovereignty and all the talk about trial and all the, the railing on the prosperity gospel for all the false promises and all the deceptive lies it sells people, all of that is rah, rah and good. But in the end, when you live it, mm-hmm. you realize that this is about the heart. This is about God and his hand upon us and his shaping mechanisms, which are trials and testings. And so everything became even more real. And I'll add one more thing to that. The lies of the enemy would have been or, or could be, oh, my kid got cancer because I touched the Lord's anointed by calling out false teaching. Wow. My kid has yeah. cancer because I didn't have enough faith or I didn't give enough money or I left the movement. And instead, you know, we're given books like Randy Alcorn's book, If God is Good. Mm. And you start realizing God is good, not because of my circumstances, but in spite of my circumstances, he's always good. He's good all the time. And so those are things that became even more real. We had heard them, we knew them, we had taught them, but that has been a great test of faith. And while we don't perfectly pass every day, and sometimes we're at the hospital or different places, and just when you think everything was fine and you live life normally, you realize my kid still has cancer and it takes you back into anxiety and despair. You realize that God is there and he's carrying us through. And it has in many ways proven that our faith is genuine Mm. and that Christ is really holding us fast. That's amazing. And it doesn't surprise me that God would show himself so faithful in suffering because Mm. he does so often. And, and just as you're speaking and talking about how you were blaming yourself because of your old teaching, um, it, it just robs people, robs people of grace and, um, the, the, the blessing of this truth, peace, peace. Yes. And so I just, I'm so, I'm just glad that the, the Lord is, um, spared you from enduring this trial with these false assumptions and teaching and and really mm-hmm. just the not the not real no not true god and so that's that's amazing how is he now so you're still working through cancer it sounds like yeah he is he has a type of cancer that is not he's not terminal but it's not curable it's okay. treatable and so he is actually um done very well he's doing very well it was a rough first several months and then over the last few months he's done wonderfully so we now are at the point where we're we we were going monthly to the cancer clinic and seeing the doctors and going through processes and testing and treatments and all of that. And now they've bumped it back to 
um, more of an irregular, like every month or two. And so those are good things, but he'll, um, again, the Lord could heal him. I believe that we, we know that we serve a God who can heal. Absolutely. And should the Lord allow that this be a, um, a, a trusting mechanism for Timothy where it keeps him on his knees for the rest of his life and the Lord sustains him, um, even then he'll still visit his cancer doctor um, annually and every six months or so. And so it, it honestly has put us on our knees and kept us on our knees. And I, I can't complain. I, I, I would never want cancer. I would never want anyone's child to have cancer. Yes. And yet if I'm in this moment and this is our life right now, I, I would not trade the proximity it has caused between us and the Lord. Hmm. And I am thankful for that. And I think that's why we can count it all joy. Not because the trials are fun, but because the results bring us closer to the Lord if we're in Christ. Amen. You are exactly right. And so anyone who's listening who they might be drawn to this podcast because of your last name, obviously. And so and they may be um, in a a church situation or even a prosperity gospel church um, and they want to leave or they're struggling or they're struggling after they've left. How would you give them gospel hope? I would say that throughout the entire process, while I had people who were supportive of me and I had a lot of wonderful things happen in my life, all those were rooted in one place and one person, and that is the Lord. He did it for me. He can do it for you. Mm. Here's the first step, though. The next step for you, if you're listening and that's you, is you must trust that God's word and what he says is enough. You got to go all in on that. His promises don't fail. His word will not fail. And if you step out in faith in the good way, not the prosperity gospel type of faith of step out in faith and do this and then, you know, God will give you what you want. If you step out in faith and trust, there is a biblical principle that God does honor and he never will fail you with what he has promised and he will take care of you. If you follow and obey and you trust him, he will walk with you. He'll draw you in and he'll send you people like he sent me Mm. who are there for such a time as this for you so trust god's word take him seriously and know that he always honors his truth so come out from under uh you know false teaching and the false gospel of prosperity theology come out from those false promises seek out a good bible teaching faithful church Seek wise counsel, follow trusted and qualified pastors. Don't follow celebrities. Don't follow people just because they got a, a large Twitter following or they're somebody. Don't worry about the big conference people. Even if, you know, Trillier or I or anyone speaks at conferences, we all would tell you, get in the local church Amen. under faithful leaders. So do that and uh, follow what the Lord prescribes in his word. Thanks for listening to Stories of Sacred Endurance. If you are enjoying it, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That will help more people discover and hopefully be encouraged by this podcast. And be sure to pick up a copy of my new book, Sacred Endurance, from InterVarsity Press. InterVarsity Press is offering podcast listeners 30% off the book through March 2020. Go to ivypress.com and use the code SACRED30 for 30% off and free shipping on your copy of Sacred Endurance. Thanks for listening.